thought my parents are paying good money for this. Yeah. And uh, so I just told my parents, I said, you know, you can either let me go to public school or I'll get expelled and go to public school. <laughs> so <laughs> One they, way or the other, you're going to a public they school. So they go. finally yes, relented. Yes. And you said you were inspired to, be, to the priesthood at an early age. I was. Uh, in, the, in the seventh grade, I had that, that, uh, that call to be a priest. Very much so. But you didn't go into seminary right out of high school or college, did you? I did not, no. Uh, Because of the example, my problem was I let other people get to my faith. I let other people decide my faith for me. Mm -hmm. So they influenced me a lot. I thought I didn't want any part of it. I mean, there was a time I didn't sit foot in the church for 10 years, and I didn't go to confession for like 30. I just I loathed the church after all that. Mm, wow. And so you were. You told me before we started recording that career-wise, you, you worked in the transportation industry, I right? Did. You also mentioned some, some children. And right, so, right. you know, a lot of people think, oh, wow, a priest with kids, but that's, you know, not too uncommon. There are cases like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, tell us about your you know, young adult and, you know, adult ages. And what, what, what were you doing? Well, I went into, uh, I started driving uh, a truck and I, I, Jordan, I loved it. And then when my, when my marriage ended, uh, I got custody of my daughters. And, and so I tried to actually go to school so I'd become a teacher or something. So my schedule would line up to theirs. My youngest daughter got so sick um, that I had to get a job with health insurance to take care of her. She had to have some procedures done. So I started driving for a local company and ended up managing. Uh, I just kept going up in management and climbing up in management. And then there's two different companies I went back and forth with for a while in management. And then once they were grown um, and they didn't need me anymore as far as support and stuff like that, now they're both married and have kids. But uh, an opportunity to tour the Broadway shows. So I started touring the Broadway shows in charge of transportation and uh, – that was the life, I'll tell you. That was uh, So living in New York? No, 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 no. I was uh, touring all over the country in oh, Canada. Oh, okay, okay. So something, you had a catalyst moment on Broadway, right? Or, I did. Yeah, tell us about that. My mother was always, well, you know, it started back when I was raising my daughters. My mother always told me that I was responsible for the daughters and the souls of my daughters. So I start taking them to church, but I never went to receive communion. Um because I was outside the church and I knew it. I didn't really want to receive communion either. But I tried to do the best I could by them because I didn't want my problems to inter, inter, you know, influence them. Uh, but then once they were grown, I, I uh, was touring with the shows and whatnot, and I started going to church now. And then I went into one in Asheville, North Carolina. I just felt so much peace. It was a Catholic church. And it just started going from there. So I... Um, and then we were walking to a bar one night, myself and the crew and some of the cast, and and uh, the one show I was on at the time was very offensive uh, to Christians. And so they were talking about that because the, the Christians would pick at the show. And they were talking about how great it was. You know, mm-hmm. I said, man, that's good advertising, but they pick at the show. And so the head carpenter turned around and said, are all Christians as cool as you? I said, I don't know. I've never thought about it because he knew I was Catholic. Mm-hmm. But that just started ringing in my head, like, are they all as cool as me? I thought that actually wasn't a compliment. Yeah. So I started to learn my faith. I looked on the Internet, and uh, I read somewhere that said that all Catholics pray the rosary daily. I thought, I don't know a single Catholic besides a mother <laughs> that prays the rosary. <laughs> but I tried because she gave me my aunt's uh, rosary. And so I had to, I remember the Hail Mary and Our Father, 
but I knew there was a glory something. I never heard the mysteries. So I started uh, reading the prayer. I wrote, I wrote them all down, for one. Then I would read them for a couple months and read, read the mysteries and do it like that. And after I got it committed to memory, I just started talking to Our Lady. Mm-hmm. I just, you know, just telling her everything. I said, you know, I said, if you could talk to your son for me, because, you know, I said, I'd, there's a lot of things, you know, I thought were right, but come to find out without him, nothing's right. And we just started talking like that. And after a while, I said, you know, I've been praying for quite a while now. It couldn't have been more than three or four months at the most, maybe not even that long. So the conversation has been awful one-sided. It'd be nice if you or the Lord could say something now and then. And the next day I prayed the rosary, uh, every time the Our Father came up, Christ prayed it. Mm. And love just permeated through my whole body. I thought, wow. And then my spiritual life took off from there. And for, for the next six to eight months, it was just myself and Christ. It's almost like I just engaged him in conversation. And he just gave me like a tour of the church and everything else. And he gave me back to his mother. But he, he told me um, how he expected me to treat his mother, which is kind of hard coming from God. Because yeah. I expect you to treat her to his mother. I'm always curious, you know, when somebody says something like you said, as far as God communicating, I think most people would like to have a prayer life like that, where it seems crystal clear exactly what God is saying. How did he communicate something so vivid and so specific to you? What's that? Uh, that that you did about treating his mother. Uh, you said that that God communicated. That well, to he you. well he would just say different things. I said, "Are you telling me how you expect me to treat your mother?" Uh-huh. I felt I felt so humiliated then because because you know I had kind of but I had kind of a wild life. So uh, I mean I've left a lot out of this story, obviously, and uh, so I was afraid to talk to her for a while. I was a little distance from her. Then I then once once. Um, I realized uh, it was pure love I learned from her, and it was pure love I was giving her. I wasn't worried about it anymore. But he mm-hmm. was just like, you know, you, you respect my mother, basically. It was what it was. Um, initially, initially, it was all spoken. It was all spoken. Mm-hmm. Uh, even driving sometimes, you, you know, I had to have the radio on. He'd say something, and conversation would start. But then after a while, I started feeling so bad because I thought, you know, you don't need to talk. You're, you're lowering yourself so low for me. I said, please, I said, just please don't don't lower yourself that low for me. And then it went into, like, when he would speak or when he would say something, almost like a little light would go off or something like that. And it became more infused, where in, in, a, in a millisecond, I have a whole conversation, which mm-hmm. was just incredible. Yeah. I miss his voice, but it's more fitting for him. Instead of, because he was stooping so low to talk to me, and it wasn't worth that. Yeah. So that's how it changed. How many, you know, of course, here we are, 2023, you're a Catholic priest. Uh, how many years ago was this? I'm just trying to get kind of a timeline That in my started mind. in 2009. Okay, so, okay, 2009. So that would have been about 14 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I'm just curious, I should have asked this before, but you said you spent a, a, a many years out of the church, not going to Mass. What was the reason for that? Or what did you dislike the church or her teachings? I know you had you know the bad experience in Catholic schools, but what what, what, what why why were you away? Just uh, the whole thing about the church. Uh, my grandparents on my mother's side were divorced. They got married because she was divorced. She was in an abusive marriage, and it was just almost close to the to the end of their lives when their marriage got blessed. So I always held that against them. But little did I know. That, that made my grandparents more holy because they just had the one child and they slept in separate beds. And people say, well, back then they did, but they lived that. They never missed Mass. They never missed a holy day. They were very, very holy people. So when they got their marriage blessed is when they took their uh, 
their honeymoon and went on a cruise. Before that, they never did. Mm-hmm. So I, I realized how beautiful it actually was and how much they loved the church. Yeah. I didn't find that out till later. And then also, my grandmother would pray the rosary every day. They lived in Chicago, so she'd ride the L, you know, which is the mm-hmm. above ground subway, basically, on that track. She prayed the rosary every day that she would never be left alone, that she would go before her husband. And uh, so my grandfather got uh, cancer, bone cancer. In fact, this watch I have on belonged to him, but I remember one time helping him go to the bathroom. I had to carry him, and this watch fell off, fell off his arm. He was such a a holy man, so proud in, in a good way. He took such good care of his family. And uh, but my, then my mother told me, you know, she had a stroke because he hung, he hung on so long. And then she told me, but she always prayed for that. So uh, my grandmother had a stroke. She's in the hospital. They wouldn't let him stay in the same room. We wheeled him in there, and she said, I don't know why I love you, but I do, and they're holding hands, you know. Mm-hmm. And they're in their 80s, or I think their 80s, at least their high 70s. Um, and then she died, so we told him he died two hours later. Mm. Oh, wow. Yeah. So, okay, so we, we, we got to the point about 14 years ago, um, and you're communicating with God, and and you're going to Mass, I presume, as well at this point, right? Started to, yes. Yeah, yeah. And you wanted, you know, your daughters to, to practice the faith as well. When did, you know, the the call to the priesthood came when you were quite young in school. And now, obviously, at some point, that call comes back. How, how did God? Well, he, uh, he asked me if I wanted to be a priest and over, over about three nights. And uh, so I finally said, Lord, are you asking me to be a priest? And uh, then I jumped out of bed. I said, oh, I said okay, I'll do it. But, but um. I said, you got to figure it out because I'm, I'm up to my neck in this life. And um, so I called my mother and told her I thought she was going to pass out <laughs> when I told her. And she said, you know, it takes like seven to eight years of school. I said, oh, man, I don't, I don't know if I want to be a priest now, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, but things started happening. Like, uh, you know, my, my truck had a kitchen and hardware floors and surround sound and cedar line closets. It was very fancy. I was at the top of my game. And uh, I'm doing the dishes one time, and I'm... I'm folding up the towel. It's like the corporal. And I'm looking at the chalice. I'm looking at it. It's all real. So I look out my window, and I see all these trucks in the parking lot. I thought, it just doesn't look like it, look like it belongs in the church, but it mm-hmm. just seems so real. And things like that just kept happening. Yeah, yeah. So uh, eventually you decided to do what? Call call the vocation director and say, because uh, you, you would be what they call a, quote, Older vocation, right? I mean, you're not late vocation. Late late vocation. I know. I know some people don't like that term because they're like, vocation is right whenever it happens. But yeah, was that uh, was that challenging to think? Gosh, I'm going to be going to school with these young guys, and I'm I'm a bit older. Or was well, I never thought that far ahead. Actually, Uh, the Lord never told me to get in contact with anybody. He just said he wanted to be a priest. And see, this is where people mess up a lot. Is they they take it to the next level, like Abraham and Sarah. he said they would have a child. He didn't. He didn't ask them to go, you know, use a slave girl or anything. He said, yeah. and he actually then he confirmed him. No, the child's going to be coming from Sarah, not not Hagar. And um, so I, I emailed said I emailed Dice to Dallas. One of the Dice's of Fort Worth a couple of times. Emailed some orders. Nobody ever answered I me. Mean, the, the vocations director in Fort Worth was never there. And uh, so I just I, I blew it off. I didn't think I thought, but I knew it was I knew the call was real. I thought, well, maybe maybe uh, it's not going to happen. But there was a voice one time that said, "You will never be a priest of mine." 
which wasn't the Lord, obviously. And uh, so I just, I didn't think about it. I didn't think it was going to be the priest, but then he told me to get, he wanted me to get off the road, just kept bothering me to get off the road. And uh, some things started happening. And one time I said, why do I have to get off the road? I'm doing great. I'm making good money, you know. Uh, I said, I get to spend time with you. I don't have a worry in the world. He said, because of me, you're doing well. Mm-hmm. And I got pulled over like for two months. I got pulled over eight times just to inspect my truck. And I'd already, already gotten out of the entertainment business because other things. But uh, so I had my own business. And so I just, I was... That made me mad. I said, okay, something happened there. And I said, okay, I'll, I'll get off the road. Well, I didn't. You know, six months later, I'm in San Jose, California. I actually just told the story in a homily. I'm in San Jose, California. And uh, for two weeks, everything went wrong. It was like I was in a real-life chess game. And, like, if I had to turn left, I'd have to turn, it'd make me turn right. Just nothing worked out. And so... I'm in this parking lot that had uh, it been years before my conversion. I just would have changed my logbook and gone. But now, since the Lord prefers you to be honest and truthful, I'm going to spend the night. So I'm staying in the company's, the, my customer's parking lot. And I decide I'm going to move where I can park, where I won't get blocked in the morning. And this truck passes up the entrance, then he backs in and it takes him forever, you know, to back in, probably 10 minutes. He's this heavy set guy. He's got this heavy set guy. He's got one of those newsboy hats on. He's got a stogie out of his hanging out of his mouth, and he parks right where I was going to park. I <laughs> said, "What are you doing, man?" He said, "He said I'm going to stay here for the night." I said, "I was about to park there." He said, "Not anymore." He just starts laughing, rolls up his window, and goes back in sleep and goes to bed. So I point at this guy. I said, "Lord, this is you." I was so mad. I was kicking, <laughs> kicking rocks in the park. And I said, "What do you want from me?" I said, "There's no way that this can be a coincidence. I know this is you." I said, because you have a flair for the dramatic. I said, all that stuff. I said, that was you. I said, what do you want from me? I told you I'd give you everything. Of course, I never could never go off the road. He said, I want you to trust me. He said, you don't trust me. I thought, mm-hmm. they, they killed the conversation for one. <laughs> but uh, I got off the road immediately, and I shut down my business and sold my truck. I did it so quickly, and it ran it, even end up and cause other problems, and then it cost me tens of thousands of dollars when I did that because there's yeah. a few things I missed. But I never, I never faltered. I mean, I, I said no, I'm going to trust you, and no matter what, I just, I just stayed with it. Yeah, and still no calls back from the vocation directors, or did somebody finally? Somebody must have returned your call eventually, or so. How did how did you get? Well, uh, what happened was, uh, I just thought that. I didn't know what I thought. That well, I'm not going to be a priest. And actually, at the time, I thought, you know, this is great because I can just stay in the congregation. I can just pray. I don't have to worry about it. So I was off the road for three years. I was actually selling trucks, and uh, because I, and I had commission only, because that way it was my own hours. I could make mass. I was making a daily mass and doing those things. But every time I tried to quit and do something else, it's like I, my prayer life went horrible. So I would, <clears throat> excuse me. So I wouldn't quit. And then one morning, one because every Sunday, like I would spend all day in prayer, reading spiritual books and the Bible and whatnot. And uh, one Sunday, it's like it's like okay, it's time. Mm-hmm. So I called a friend of mine. I said, "Hey," and she's actually had three audiences with the Pope. You know, she's she's a holy woman. So hey, this is what I was thinking. Maybe I'm supposed to like start a mission for Our Lady because I was involved in the Legion of Mary. And do that. And she said, let me pray about it. I'll get back to you. She prayed. She said, no, I see you talking to a lot of people, but that's not it. Mm-hmm. And she'd always say to me, she said, you know, there's some people that are priests that shouldn't be. There's some priests that aren't priests. There's people, some people that aren't priests that should be. Mm-hmm. She said, what do you think? I said, I never thought about it. You know, she was talking to me. I never, this one was for <laughs> about two years. I never got it. 
And then uh, finally, there was a function going on at Holy Family in the parish hall. And another one of the parishioners had been talking me into the priesthood. She said, hey, did you see where that older priest just got married, which was Father Russ Maurer at the time, just yeah. got uh, ordained? I said, no, because I didn't get the Texas Catholic for some reason at that, that time. It was just weird timing, huh? I said, no. I said, but it doesn't matter. I said, I've taken on debt. I'm doing this other thing. I said, so don't bug me about it. So I'm walking off, and she said, when are you going to stop making excuses? Loud. People mm-hmm. could hear it. I just kept walking. I said, Lord, that could have been you. I said, okay. So I went back. I prayed about it, emailed the Diocese of Dallas, called her. I said, look, I'm going to try one more time. If nothing happens, I said, get off my back. <laughs> and uh, so I checked my email next Monday evening, but the vocations director answered me 10 minutes later. I said, we need to talk. And that's how it started. So I said, Lord, if, if you know, I said, if this is going to happen, please put into it. Let me have my life back. You never put it into it, but it took forever to... Uh, to get some the results from my psychiatric evaluation, I figured I failed. I mean, you're probably talking to a few minutes and thinking this guy's psycho. <laughs> so I didn't think it was going to happen. There was this beautiful woman that uh, had, I noticed, and if she didn't catch me looking at her, I caught her looking at me. So there was an equal interest there, both you know. But we never spoke. And then I said, Lord, if I don't hear anything by next week, if you're not calling me, I'm calling her. You know, I told him I'd never date again, but I was going to make an exception because after mass, she always went to the Adoration Chapel. Uh-huh. So she's walking towards me. She's smiling. I thought, she's feeling this way, same way I do. We're, you know, we're, we're just in unison and everything. Somebody walks up to her, puts his arm around her, which I know who he was because he used to take his father to church, starts talking to her. She looks back at me like this. I never saw her again. I said, Lord, what the heck? <laughs> I said, I'll never tell you anything else again. The next day, next day I get a phone call. Hey, they'd had the wrong email. If you're from your Slack evaluation, you passed. Be at Notre Dame and such, you know, like in a couple weeks. You know, so. Uh-huh. But that's how the Lord works. Yeah, I'm amazed at the the communication you have with God. I it, it's it's so I I, I envy you that uh, the the communication back and forth is so uh, so clear that that that's amazing. So yeah, they, they you passed the psych exam. Did you have to start from scratch? You mentioned seven years of seminary. Did you have to start and go through the whole thing, or did you already have some of it? Uh, no, uh, I didn't finished? even. I didn't. I never finished college, so I didn't have a degree. So I had to take. Well, everybody has to take philosophy anyway yeah so i took pre-theology which is philosophy you can either do it in two years or four years and two years is pre-theology and they cram four years down of philosophy in your throat two years instead of taking four to do it so it was brutal after the first semester i couldn't even remember my name i don't think <laughs> but the seven years was because i lost a year of covid it would have been six yeah in yeah. fact i wasn't even going to take a pastoral year I was just going to go straight through, and then I got sick. Okay, so let, let's talk about that. So that was uh, you told me August twenty twenty, right? And the 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 height of COVID, and this is where things were really really bad for a lot of people. Uh, you're in seminary. You're obviously three years away from being ordained, or or I guess, and then. Actually, you, actually, I was two years away. Okay, so you lost a I was whole going year. to T3, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you, uh, you got COVID, and unlike a lot of people, it was, a, it was a serious case, obviously. Very much so, yeah. Yeah. But back then, a lot of them were. Yeah, yeah. And uh, came not only near death. You told me before we started, you, you flatlined a few times. Several times, yes. Yeah. Yeah, I just found that a couple months ago, actually. <laughs> okay. 
Kind of cool, huh? And did you did that? I mean, you already have a serious prayer life. You got a relationship with God, but that's got to make a difference in your spiritual life when you're thinking God's leading you to priesthood, and all of a sudden you're at death's door. Yeah, you got to be thinking like, God, what's what's going on here? Kind of no. like, like that pretty woman who you're like, okay. That, that's- no, actually, that's what brought me out is um, because I started thinking about this. I thought because you know I was in a wheelchair for a while when I wanted had to go into rehab. When I could pivot from the bed to the wheelchair, I said, Lord, I can be of use to you again, if I, just because I was mobile. I didn't know, the doctors didn't know if I'd ever make a full recovery or not. Nobody knew, because COVID was so new. And um, I just got better and better and better. But there for a while, I thought I wasn't going to be a priest, because um, at the time, you know, COVID makes your blood thicken, which is which was part of the problem. But then I thought about it. I thought, no, I thought, you asked me. This wasn't anything I came up with on my own. You did this. This is your idea. So I knew then that it was going to work out, that this is just part of the journey. So I, that's how I took it. Mm. And it was so beautiful because literally there were people praying for me around the world. I heard about experiences they had in prayer. So that was one thing. And then another thing was the incredible doctors and nurses I got to meet through, through this whole thing. And like we still have a relationship. You know, I just, like I told you, I just celebrated Mass over there. This past Wednesday, in five were Catholic, and I think there were 13 or 14 there, and the rest were Protestant. But mm-hmm. they know the story. They know, yeah. they'll tell you that it was God. They know it was God. So I was telling them, basically, my, my message was, you have to understand, you know, you have this desire to help people, to make a gift of yourself to others. You've risked your life to, because there was no vaccine when I, was, when I was sick, but you all risked your lives to help me. I said, when you uh, when you treat people like that, I said, you respect the dignity of the person. I said, it's like you have a friend, like uh, you have find a friend that plays tennis or fishing, whatever you all have, then you have something in common. I said, you have a lot in common with the Lord. I said, he knows you. And I said, the whole point of me getting sick, I think, was so you can come to know him. I said, he wants a relationship with you. Mm-hmm. It's been a beautiful experience. Yeah, in fact, you emailed me and said, contracting COVID was one of the greatest blessings in my life. It was, yes, it was. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. And so you get out of it, and uh, you continue seminary, and uh, all the way to May of 2023, and yes. you're ordained. Yes. What was going through your mind? My, I was blessed to be there with my son at that Mass uh, of ordination. That's a long journey to this this point. What was going through your mind as you, as the bishop was ordaining you as a Catholic priest? You know, it's nothing romantic or anything like that. It's like, I just like to get this over and get to work. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't the answer I was expecting. <laughs> I mean, it was beautiful, but there's just so much that goes into it, you know. Yeah. And it's just like, um, I just I was ready to go. I was just, I've been thinking about things for years. And uh, like, couple prayer for one. I, I, that's something we'll be starting here in January for, for you know, invite some different couples over from the different parishes to get involved in this. And uh, things like that on my mind. Yeah. And I, I just, even, but even in the seminary, like I was in the uh, Dominican high school, all girls high school, I was in their spring musical. And uh, something I didn't want to do, but it's obvious that that was the Lord wanted me to do it because the teacher was an ex seminarian. And he had been praying that someone would fill a certain role. as little women, they needed a grandfather. And uh, I got assigned to Dominican, but I didn't want to do it because I, you know, but it's a girls' high school. I mean, I, I raised two daughters. I had all their friends. I'm used to that. That wasn't going to stretch me. And uh, But then one evening, I thought, you know, I can do this. I can help them with the retreats, do this, this, and this. 
And that's the same night he prayed. And he said, I got such a peaceful feeling when I prayed. He said, then I, then I sent my email to the vice president. She sent me an email. I wanted to know what my specialty was. I said, I don't have any specialties. I said, you know, I said, I can tell you what it's like to lead a secular life. I said, I raised two daughters as a single parent. I said, I had his major conversion when I was home on Broadway shows. I said, I can tell you what it's like to lead an intentional Christian life. Mm. And uh, she sent it straight to him. And he said, hey, this is great, man. We need somebody for the show. <laughs> <laughs> You're hired. Yeah, so yeah. I, did, I wasn't. I told him, I said, no, that's not my thing. I don't want to do it. I tried. I emailed the vice president. I said, I don't want. I don't want to do that. That's not. I'm not an actor. So anyway, he said, just come and see. So I went, and the girls were just so dedicated, and I just felt bad. I thought, man, I have to do this. I said, well, give me the script. There was singing involved. I can't sing. All this stuff I had to do. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> sounds but, uh, like a great fit. Yeah, but I did it. You know, and I, and I was horrible at it. Like, and, the, and when I finally got it right, all the the whole cast are all clapping for me. I thought this is so embarrassing, you know. But I, I told Cameron this. I said this. I said this. I know for sure. And this comes in faith, but this comes from knowing Him. I said the Lord will not send me here to sabotage this show. I said when it comes time to perform, I'll be perfect. I said I know that. It ended up writing an extra song for me to sing with one of the girls. And I was perfect through the whole thing because I, and people said, are you nervous? I said, no, it's not about me. It's about them. It was about them. I make, I gave myself mm-hmm. to them. And, uh, so you have to, we had six shows. Uh, it was a beautiful time when it was over. I was like so depressed because these are my friends now, you know, mm-hmm. and, but I saw the vice president of school, the last show. I said, you know, I sent you an email telling you I didn't want to do this. I said, you never answered me. You never responded. I said, what's the deal? I said, I'm glad you didn't because it was one of the greatest experiences of my life. But why didn't you respond? She said, I was sat down. I was going to respond. She said, I could just feel the Holy Spirit tell me to stay out of it. Mm. Oh, it's wow. all the way around. There's confirmation that that's what the Lord wanted. And the point is, when he asks you to do something, if you do it, if you just go walk through that door, he, he wants you to do it in your weakness because then he can shine. And that was the that was the point. Yeah. So I told him from that point on. I said, "When you ever open a door, I know what you. I'll walk through it." Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm sitting here today, by the way. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other thing I want to ask you about because you were not inclined to do this. No. How old are your daughters now, and what do they think about having their dad as a Catholic priest? Thirty-seven, thirty-nine. Um, they're getting used to the idea. You know, when I first had my conversion, they said, you know, Dad, you're acting kind of weird, which I was, you know, because, <laughs> because and I actually said this in a homily, too. Um, when you encounter our Lord, all of a sudden you realize what's important and what isn't. And then when you have to come back reacclimated to this life, um, you realize there's so many things that we hold on to in this world that just have nothing to do with our salvation. They're useless in many ways, in, many ways. in a lot of ways, they endanger our salvation. So there's so many things you become more relaxed. It's like just uh, that, that that just really doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. You know, you prioritize, you prioritize much better. So it's hard to uh, to get reacclimated to to this life to where you don't stick out like a sore thumb. You're not weird, and I've done a good job. No one even knows I'm religious. I don't think. <laughs> <laughs> you're a straight shooter. I, I've I've noticed that. You you just what you say is is what you mean, and uh, you don't sugarcoat things. Uh, uh, and and I, I think that's uh, that that serves you well. That that I'm sure the, the people at your parish appreciate that. I mean, you know, and, and I, I'm amazed at uh, just the spiritual life. It's really beautiful. Um, uh, so you've been now May, June, July, August. You've been at uh, a priest now for a couple over a couple months. Yeah, uh, assigned better, yeah. a holy family. How, how have the first two months been? It's been beautiful. I've been on, on quite a few sick halls and. Uh, 
last rides, and it's it's been so beautiful. You know, it's um, Notre Dame was very difficult. You know, you brought up earlier going to school with younger guys. And by the way, the class I was in was a different one, and they were much younger than – not much younger, but they were – I was the oldest guy by far the other class. There was a couple of people that were close to my age. But I learned so much for them, and they have such faith. I thought, you have so much faith. I wouldn't be here if I was you because I didn't have that faith. I had to actually talk to him, you know, and get to know him before I had mm-hmm. faith in him. But So that was, imp- that was impressive. But as far as being with the younger guys, I couldn't um, – de- I couldn't – like debrief, let my hair down with them and just say, because they're not going to understand where I'm coming from, where you have someone that's worked in the real world, maybe had a family. He gets it. You know, you can talk mm-hmm. to him. He'll, he'll, he's on, he's on the same page. So that, that part was difficult. Yeah. So what, what, uh, what do you think as far as your ministry, you talk about, you know, visiting sick people and, uh, and what, what else, how, how, how do you foresee God using you as a priest or what, what parts of the, the priesthood you enjoyed the most, or uh... I don't know. Uh, the one thing immediately is, like I said, couple prayer. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. What kind uh, of prayer? Couple prayer. Okay. Actually, Teresa Tamio was is actually she's on the board. She went through it and okay. speaks highly of it. But it, the couple actually um, ends up having a uh, encounter with Christ one way or the other, and it happens every time because all we're doing in couple prayers, you just teach them different ways to pray. Not real prayer. You don't learn anything. You don't memorize anything. It's just engaging Christ in conversation. That's all it takes. People don't do that. And then the, the encounter at some point is going to happen. And here again, like we were talking about before, um, you receive those graces from the sacrament of marriage when you're open to them. If you just go in there getting married in the church, it's a sacrament, yes, but you have to be. You have to welcome those graces. You have to want those graces. If you don't want them, he's not going to mm-hmm. force them on you. Yeah, you know. Because you're free, well, you have to want them and take them. So it's like you you activate that grace, that sanctifying grace, right there, and it makes your marriage much stronger because it makes the marriage crystal centric, which is what it's supposed to be. But my um, passion right now is once that once they get started, and I've already talked to them about this. I said I'm going to use the same theology, but I want to do it for single parent households, so the the parent and the children can have that same relationship and mm. talk because you get in that situation, which I was in that situation, whether it's a, if, if it's a good marriage or a bad marriage, it doesn't matter. Half of you is gone. Mm-hmm. If that person was a jackass, then that jackass is gone. You know, you, you know how to deal with that, you know. Um, so I really think, and I know in my case, when you get in that situation, that's when the Lord's tugging at your heart. But so often we try to put it in temporal terms and think it's another person. When the Lord wants to get in the suffering with you, he wants you to invite him in. He wants to be there. And the second marriages rarely work out. And if they do work out, the kids are always feel like stepchildren, you know, because the spouse wants more attention. Mm-hmm. It's just difficult all the way around. So if someone got divorced uh, and came to me, I would say, before you get remarried, take this with your family. Then if you find somebody, it's going to be someone that's going to be a, a benefit, beneficial to you and him. You can sanctify each other. It's not going to be something out of need. It's going to be something out of, out of desire and, and want. Mm-hmm. You've been asked to give a couple of speeches, commencement addresses. Um, they they want to hear your story. What, what, what in particular have they asked you to talk about? Uh, well, at Notre Dame, it was, it was uh, about perseverance. So uh, I started I started to talk out by saying, 
you know, I don't know about perseverance because they're talking about my COVID situation. I said, I don't know about perseverance. <clears throat> I said, uh, it came from a place of love. I said, in a, you know, my COVID situation, I thought was a great blessing. It's the only thing I regret about the COVID situation is it's just exposed this, exposed this beautiful love story that I'd rather keep to myself. It just keeps opening up. And then uh, at Baylor, it was, uh, they had an ECMO symposium. I was on ECMO for three weeks. Uh, and they asked me to speak because I was an ECMO survivor, a COVID survivor, and they wanted me to speak. So I spoke about that and uh, mostly about the humanity, humanitarian side of it. I showed them that because I said, you know, as far as ECMO goes, I was asleep most of the time. I was in a coma for three weeks, you know, so I don't mm-hmm. remember much of that. And uh, and then I did an opening prayer for them, which was good because that was it was live and it was also virtual. <clears throat> um, so I don't know how many people actually saw it, but it was it was a beautiful experience. It was hard because, like I told the people at Notre Dame, I said, I'm speaking to you about something that happened. And about another month, I'll be speaking to the people who it happened with. They saved my mm-hmm. life. They were very, you know, gave risked their life to save mine. I said, that's going to be hard to do. That was hard to do. Yeah. You didn't want to do this necessarily, no. but you were convinced by a special uh, spiritual director to do it. Why Why do you not uh, like telling your story? Not so, not so much by a spiritual director. Um, it's difficult. And like I said, I wrote a book in 2012 about it. It has a lot to do with it. Um, but he told me, he said, you know, the Lord can do more if you stay unknown than if you, you get very well known. So I kind of stuck by that, and I, that's what I've been holding on to. Now, my previous spiritual director, before I went to the seminary, I had lunch with her, and she said, you need to tell your story. And then one, one spiritual director I had during a retreat, he said, you need to tell your story. But I have a spiritual director right now. I'm waiting for her to get in town uh, to see She's going to be my spiritual director. She thinks we've got to talk about it. I've already made my mind up. She's just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> um, but it's, it's, number one, it's hard to talk about. It, but so, but I want to make sure that I'm doing the Lord's will and not mine. So I mm-hmm. prayed this Friday two weeks ago. I said, Lord, i got to know what you want from me. I said, if you want me to do this, fine. Then you, 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 you know, I'll do it. I said, but you have to do the interview. What you're telling you right now is doing it right now because I can't usually keep myself together. And uh, and our lady, you know, because she was so instrumental in the whole thing. And because uh, I spoke at Holy, some of the most of the people at Holy Family know a little bit because it's like a, that's my home parish, so they do mm-hmm. know some some of it. So I just talked. You grew about, up in that parish? I didn't grow up, but when oh. I came back in town in 2013, okay. that was my home parish. Oh, okay. Actually, my home parish was St. Luke. Well, you're like uh, Father Edwin Leonard, who grew up in St. Anne's Parish in Capel. Yeah, yeah, he's right. the pastor there. Right. It's, it must be. Uh, Interesting. To yeah, be, yeah. Now, now that you're there as a priest. It's great. Yeah. So uh, where was I? Oh, so I said, I said, Lord, I said, I, I got to know. I said, if you don't want me to do it, I'm kind of, I don't like center of, being the center of attention anyway. I said, I won't do it. I said, just, I said let me know. I got to know. Because people keep asking me, and if it's your will, I'll do it. And then I, I was walking to, the, to get ready. I was to vest for Mass one morning, one Saturday morning. This guy came out of the Adoration Chapel. He said, do you remember me? I said, no. He said, I, I brought a bracelet and a crucifix I had made. He said, I know I had to bring it for a reason. Your homily, I gave it to you. It made him tear up. He said, you gave me faith. You changed my life. He said, people need to hear your story. I thought, okay, Lord. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, that was it. So I sent Katie an email. So okay, I'm in. I'll do it. Yeah. Whatever you want. Gosh, I wish I was a, a half as attentive or a quarter of attentive to the God's voice as you are. They. That's what I really take out of this is just this constant communication you have with God, and I. Uh, it's 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 really amazing, and uh, and I think it's. Every person, every priest should have it, but we don't, you know? Well, so what's your, what's your advice for somebody who doesn't seem like they have this kind of connection where they can just talk to God? Um, how well, does, how does one get that? Uh, number one, I tell people just start with hello because <laughs> it starts with a conversation because, yeah. you know, even confession, people, you know, they, they talk about what's going on. So what's your prayer life like? I can, I already know what it's like. I pray the rosary. I say this prayer. I say that prayer. Have you ever said hello? Have you ever talked to him? You know, because as long as if you're just praying the rosary and doing those things, that's fine. My conversion came to the rosary, but it came through the conversation. There's times that I'll spend three hours praying the rosary and never finish the rosary because it's a conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, like during my conversion, uh, when I was on the road, I was I specifically scheduled things to where I had plenty of time. Like I go through the desert. And uh, I stay out there for a day or two just in prayer, you know, in the, in the mountains or whatever. And once you get to know them, start having these conversations, it's incredible. And it, it's not, I'm not special. I took the time to get to know him, mm-hmm. you know. Um, I I read Catherine Sena. I read her stuff a lot. I'm, I'm still reading the dialogue for probably the fifth or sixth time. It's a different different version, the better one, actually, the best one. I read her letters. Teresa of Avila, I've read her several times, and John of the Cross, I've read that one a couple times. And uh, not to learn it, but just uh, to get to know them, too. It's yeah. just an incredible thing, but it's, it, people think it's difficult. It's not. We're more like Moses. We want to keep the we want to keep the veil on the Lord and just go do a program or something, which will never work until you have a relationship with Him. It's yeah. not going to work. Yeah, very good. Well, thank you so much for telling your story. Um, if you're listening and I uh, haven't mentioned for a while who I'm speaking to and you're probably thinking, who is this? Uh, Father Eugene O'Donnell, uh, one of our recently ordained priests for the Diocese of Dallas, May 20th over at St. Jude and Allen. Eight men were ordained. He was one of them and he has been assigned to be parochial vicar at Holy Family of Nazareth Parish in Irving. And uh, before we close out, Father, is there anything else that you think our listeners should know about you or about the faith or anything else you'd like to say before we uh, finish the interview? No, I'm just saying if you want to get to know the Lord, start with hello. And same thing with Our Lady. When you're, when you're praying the rosary, uh, when you get to the lone bee that decade, look at that as a rest area, take a break, and just start talking, start a conversation. Open up to her, take her in your confidence, just tell her what you need. She's another one. She's the one who introduced me to her, introduced me to her son, and she'll introduce them all, anybody else. That's mm-hmm. what she does. Yeah. We're uh, recording this on the feast day of St. Maximilian Colby, yes. who uh, had a very, yes. very strong devotion exactly. to Our Lady. In fact, I did an interview with a gentleman this morning. Uh, this popped into my mind. It'll be the last question. Uh, tell us about your first mass, your first mass, your first, you know, the, when you were able to consecrate the Eucharist. Uh, what kind of an, because I, you, you strike me as a, <clears throat> A guy that um, you know, and you know, you you think things through, and you you feel things strongly. So, how was that? Uh, it was it was difficult actually, but there's been since then. There's been three times when I've just froze and just I'm just looking at the Eucharist and like, and it's when he, he reaches out and just grabs you. And sometimes, the one time the, the parishioners started thought I forgot the words they were going on, it's like I couldn't talk. I'm just froze. I'm just in the moment. Sometimes when I bring the Eucharistic prayer. Uh, 
think about his passion. I'll, I'll tear up, have to stop, just catch, recompose myself. But you brought up the first mass, and that's when I told them to introduce me as Eugene. It's something that the, our ladies want to call me Eugene, so that's why I go by it. But I never, I took Eugene after my grandfather, um, but someone came, one of the parishioners came up and said, why did you, why did you take the name Eugene? So I gave them the reason, my grandfather, you know, plus Dennis is a dad and a grandfather, Eugene's for the people. Did you know today is St. Eugene's feast day? You know? Hmm. And uh, my spiritual director flew in from uh, New Orleans. His name is Father Palermo, he's Sicilian. So I read about St. Eugene, and uh, he was a much, very much about in the peripheries with the people, which is where I'm from, so that's where I gravitate to. During the French Revolution, his family fled uh, France, and he ended up in Palermo, Sicily. So I thought, Mother, I'm so glad I kept my word and went by Eugene, because they just things like that. Like, how can, is that a coincidence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, It can't yeah. be. Yeah, amazing. Fascinating life. Congratulations on the ordination and uh, a beautiful story. Boy, you've been through a lot and you've, uh, and uh, praise be to God. Father Eugene O'Donnell, uh, one of our new, newly ordained Catholic priests in the Dallas Diocese. And uh, thank you very much. I didn't mention this, but our dear friend Steve Porter is uh, sitting in the studio listening and uh, he's one of uh, Father Eugene's parishioners over there at Holy Family. So, uh, and you're a groupie. <laughs> Either I'm a groupie of his or he is of me. I don't know which one. But um, would you be able to provide a, a blessing for those present and those listening uh, right now? Yes. Amen. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we ask you to bless those uh, that are in, that want to come meet you. Please give them the grace and the courage to come forward to get to know you, to speak to you heart to heart. If they have difficulty with that, there's always your mother that can help them. That will lead them right to you. That's what she does. And may the blessing of Almighty God, the Father, and Son, and Holy Spirit come down upon all of you and remain with you forever. Amen. Thank you very much, Father. And uh, this has uh, been an interview with Father Eugene O'Donnell. Thanks to Cecil for writing the board. Thanks, everybody, for listening. God bless you. This has been the KTH 910 AM interview of the week. Thanks for joining us for this week's KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. We hope you've enjoyed this presentation of Catholic news and information pertinent to North Texas Catholics. Please join us again next week at this same time for another KATH 910 AM Interview of the Week. Victory Investment Strategies is a sponsor of KATH 910 AM. They pray for continued blessings on all who make Catholic Radio possible in North Texas. The unique programming is vital to our daily lives. Victory Investment Strategies is a full-service investment firm owned by Joel and Elizabeth Victory, members of St. Patrick Cathedral in Fort Worth. They offer a variety of products and will customize a plan to fit your individual needs. 866-810-6800. 866-810-6800. Securities offered through LPL Financial Member FINRA SIPC. Guadalupe Radio Network announces the launch of La Promesa Legacy Circle, formed to recognize and honor our dedicated donors who have made long-term commitments to the network through gifts from their estates. We invite you to join our family and allow us to be a part of your personal legacy. For more information on making a legacy gift for the benefit of the GRN and a guide to charitable estate planning, contact our friends at the Catholic Foundation at 972-661-9792 or info at catholicfoundation.com. Looking for a career move where you can put your faith into action as you build relationships within your local community? Decided Excellence Catholic Media is one of the fastest growing private media companies in North America. 
We are seeking media, marketing, and sales professionals who want to join our team to produce exclusive faith-filled magazines that support local businesses. To learn more about Decided Excellence Catholic Media, please visit decidedexcellence.com. That's decidedexcellence.com. Arm yourself for the daily spiritual battle. Visit St. Michael's Armory for beautiful sacramentals, recast antique metals and religious jewelry, and our exclusive sterling silver and wool ground scapulars. Take up these means to strengthen your soul and arm yourself well for the battle of life. StMichaelsArmory.com That's STMichaelsArmory.com Spiritual armor for the battle of life. Take my 
This is Julie Carrick, host of We Sing Our Faith. I'm happy to be part of the Guadalupe Radio Network. One of the songs I'd like to share with you today is called Hold Me Jesus, written by Rich Mullins. And I had the opportunity to record this with a couple members of the Ragamuffin. Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Catholic Radio for your soul. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone.